Hello, everybody, and welcome to Sequence Break, episode 15, Crowd Control with Jakku. And here he is, Jakku. Hello. <laughs> Live and in person. <laughs> Thanks for doing this, man. I appreciate it. Um, so for not people who might not be, how would you, what do you, like, what's your job description or how are you part of, of the speedrunning community and uh, uh, streaming and all this kind of stuff? Um, I I got involved in the speedrunning community when I created Warp World. Um, and we can get into all that later. Yeah. But just as a like an introduction, I guess, um, I got involved in the Super Mario Maker uh, community. And, you know, they, they needed tools and things and software to be built. And so I started doing that. And then the more and more I looked at speedrunning, um, the more I'm like, oh, I could I could definitely help out here in certain areas. And so I started attending JDQs. I've been to like all the JDQs since 2016, I believe now. So quite a few at this point. Um, and yeah, just speedrunning has been kind of something that I've always watched and kind of experienced on my own um, with friends. But it really seems like over the last few years it's become a big part of my life and has changed things like tremendously and i can't wait to get into that because it's uh speed running i think has it, it's still on a on this whole this crazy uh ride and and the story is not yet written so it's a yeah <laughs> it's pretty cool um and so tech I, I you're are you the ceo of warp world is that your job title type of thing yeah yeah i'd technically be the ceo founder of warp world Cool. And we'll get into that in just a sec, because I'm super fascinated by the whole thing. But uh, let's start off with, um, when did you, like, what was your first introduction to video games? When did you start playing? What were some of the early games you played? Oh, man, I it's it's got to be the NES and Mario. Um, I feel like we had an Atari as a child, but, like, that was in the 80s. And so very hard to really remember. But this distinct memory I have is my brother had a paper route. And he, and I'm pretty sure he only had it for a week. And then, or, like, before he bought this but for a week he bought he had a paper out and then he came home with a nintendo my dad and him came home with a nintendo one night like oh it's your paper route money and i'm like you have enough money for a week of paper out i want a paper out <laughs> yeah right um <laughs> i so i'm pretty sure that was more of like my father's like i want a nintendo and we're just say it's your paper out money um we'll never know the the true origins of that but uh i remember you know it, mario one i believe was the only game that we had but obviously it was a fun game and I remember the very first night just like uh, playing it and like even knowing where that one that very first one up in the Mario level was. And I don't know if like that was something passed down from my friends or brothers or, or whatever, but like we just we knew. So it was really cool. Um, and so some crazy night in probably 1989 or so. So, uh, okay, so often the Mario comes up, especially with people around our age. Yeah. It's just like Nintendo, Mario, that whole kind of thing. Can you remember, Did you were you the type of kid, did you beat games or anything like that? Because I, I have very little memory of beating any game when I was a kid, so I'm curious if you had any of those. Yeah, no, beating games was hard. Um, Mario 1 specifically, I remember not beating for the longest time. Um, actually, the biggest memory of that game and like beating it was a uh, the neighbors across the street from us they had their NES on during a party and like the parents were playing it. The kids were not allowed to play it because they had gotten into world eight and they, the, the mom of that family knew how to do the infinite uh, life glitch. Oh, cool. Arch. Yeah. So like they got all the lives and so they got to it. world eight and they got to the final castle. And like, I remember like, them just attempt after attempt after attempt. And finally they beat it. And everyone was like, Oh, we did it. And then we found out there was a B quest. <laughs> so so yeah that was really fun um i your reward I, for beating I, the game is playing the game again <laughs> yeah and it's harder yeah um, exactly 
And so I don't know what game I ever beat first. Um, I would say it would probably be Mario 2 if I had to guess because that was a lot easier. Um, and I could – I almost want to say that was the first game I ever speed ran because I remember like knowing how to get through the ice level really quick and dodging all the, the flying guys and stuff. And so like I think that might have been the very first NES game I ever beat. And I think it was technically the first game I ever speed ran. Um, but we rented games a lot because, you know, games were expensive and it was really easy because there was a, a rental shop like two blocks down from my house. So. Oh, nice. Have access to all the games. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, I, I, you know, in, in full disclosure for everyone, I, I'm a patron. I think I, it might have been in the first time it was available for for Jaku's podcast, uh, Warp World, and also uh, I Got One. And one of the things you talk about, I love hearing your stories as a kid because it sounds like you were breaking things from a very young age and just figure, tweaking things, figuring out how things work. Is that actually the case? And when did some of that start? Like, when did that curiosity uh, start to happen? Yeah, um, I, I had been breaking things all my life. Um, it started with taking things apart, you know, um, TV remotes, VCRs and things like that. My parents weren't so happy about that, but I could put them <laughs> back together and they more or less would work still. Um, I, I think my uncle really kind of uh, like sparked that because he would always bring me a lot of like old radios and things and like they'd work in various states and I'd be like, oh, well, let me take it apart and swap things around. So shout out to my uncle on that one. Um, but uh it wasn't until uh, you know getting a computer where I could really start to to figure things out, and like this was in like the late '90s, you know, emulation was was just kind of coming on the scene, um, and like I, I believe it was the it was the NES emulator Nesticle, oh yeah, uh, which great name, great icon, <laughs> yes. um, if you if you know what we're talking about, but uh, it had the ability to go in and edit the graphics or the sprites in the games. You mm. could um, there was a palette thing and all sorts of stuff, and you could save it so the ROM would actually save the, the the sprite changes. And that's when I first realized I'm like, oh, you can change stuff in these. Um, I thought this was read only memory. Yeah. And then it clicked like, well, technically yes, but you have access to the file, so technically no. And so, like adding graphics were fun, but then I'm like, how do I edit text and like. I did the first, the very first thing I thought of was like, oh, I just changed the graphics to be the text. But then that doesn't work because if you change an H to a T, it changes all the H's to a T. <laughs> um, and that's when I learned about hacks and things like that. And so I actually started dabbling in like round hacking in 1999 or so. Um, and messing around with like Mario one a lot. Had you done any hex editing up to that point? Cause we just recently started talking about this and I, I, I'm fat. I didn't know. I, I'm so stupid. I've been a speedrunner for three years and I just finally now understanding, looking at memory addresses and stuff. Is it, did you know what you were looking at or had you had some experience with that? Not really. Um, I, not really. I like, I think it was one of those things where I'm like, what is it that I'm trying to do? And like, there was no Google. Um, hmm. but one of the things that I really did back in the day when, because we didn't have cable modems either, um, right. we had like dial like, <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Um, I even had a slower modem because I couldn't get the fifty six k drivers working on the on the system for the longest time, and oh, no. finding drivers online was impossible. Um, but uh, I would download text files, tons and tons of text files because wow. they were instant. You click it and it's done because it's text, right. and it takes you hours to read depending on the length, and so. I think I found a lot of text files that just talked about hacks and ASCII and other uh, formats like that and things like that and like just started reading and, and diving into hack editors and and figuring things out. Um, I, I figured out how to convert the like character tables essentially because Mario didn't follow a standard hex um, pattern for text. Oh, I see. You know, 
uh, 22 could be, you know, uh, A to Mario, but at 20 is typically used for space. So, like, obviously they didn't do it because it was 1985. There was no standard for that. So, so I had to figure out what each letter was corresponding to the actual hex value in this game. And that was, that was a fun little, like, it, it felt like a puzzle, I guess. Yeah. And, like, puzzles were always so much fun to solve. And so it was like all these ROMs are just puzzles that you can solve in various ways. Well, and that's, I think, a perfect way to ask about, you know, so when did you start developing or coding or that side of things? Because I know that's a big part of what the Warp World offerings are and all that kind of stuff. So when did you start that that process? Um, so I started probably in 2000, somewhere hmm. around there, uh, messing around with code and like, because like a ROM would be the compiled code, obviously, and like it's got everything built in. And so like that was cool and that was fun, but there was always limits to that. Hmm. And like if you want to build your own game, you kind of could with that ROM. And we've seen a lot of tools now where like yeah, level editors and right. everything's out there and you can make a game look completely different from what it was. Um, but if you really wanted to, you had to kind of start from scratch or start your own program. And I was just always curious how these programs worked. And so like getting their source code and figuring out how to compile them was really a nice stepping stone to that. Um, and I, I very much learned by like watching, I feel like, mm. um, I can I can learn on my own, but like if I can see somebody else do something, it makes things a lot easier and more clear in my head. So that really helped. Um, and so I, I guess I started programming just like random programs. You know, um, the very first program I remember building was a, a red box, and like the, this got me into like computer hacking in a way. Uh, but a red box comes from the freaking days uh -huh. um, in the '80s and stuff, where you could play the tones into a payphone of you depositing coins and the phone would think that you're depositing coins um because it was all just signals generated having uh, flashbacks here <laughs> yeah so it was like 70s and 80s that was huge and for whatever reason i chose oh, i make a red box application for my first thing um it was nothing special no, like it didn't work in this day and age right but just knowing that it could play the sounds over the over the speakers and stuff was cool um and so that that, that led me down another path in life which is really fun <laughs> I can only imagine. It's it's interesting, like how um, yeah, it's a phone freaking, right? I, it feels like we're taking a flashback here. Um, it, I'm curious, like so the um, th there's a lot of there's a surprising amount of overlap between speedrunners and, and software engineers, software developers, whether it's 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 in the gaming industry or whether it's not. And I, I I'm wondering, you know, wh why do you think there is that connection between uh, coding and, and development uh, and speedrunners? Yeah, I. <sighs> I think we, we just all like technology mm. and like gaming, obviously huge technology. Um, but I think a lot of us got into programming because of video games. I Like right. when I was a kid, it was like, oh, I want to become a game de designer. Um, and that means I need to learn how to, to program or a game programmer, I guess. Um, and it was only it was only later in life that I realized I'm not good at programming games and or coming up with concept for games. But <laughs> that's fine. Right. Uh, the skills I learned from this was great. And I think it's just I think it's just that like. Everyone's like, I want to do this. How do I do this? And that's what gets you into programming. And then you find something a little bit more your style. Wow. Um, and in the 90s, obviously, like it, it was hard to find information about game programmers and stuff. Like you had the credits, but you couldn't go to LinkedIn and find anything about how these people did things. And there'd be interviews in EGM and, and Game Informer and Nintendo Power, but they never got super deep. You know, it's funny you say that because like I, my, my day job, I mostly do documentary work and I was thinking of just how many 
conversations and interviews we might have missed because we weren't covering the game industry the way it is covered today and all these great mm-hmm. games from back in the day. I, just, oh, I feel like some, I hope, you know, some of it gets lost. I mean, we've, we're starting, we've start, lost some of our giants over the past few years. So. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so I'm curious, what led you then? So when did you start dabbling in or what led you to start dabbling in live streaming? And, and and what was kind of your first couple experiences with that? Oh, man. So so this is this is going to go back to like 2007, 2006, actually. Oh, that's awesome. Um, I, I was I had moved to Chicago right out of high school sort of thing um, and probably spent uh, after about a year, I got a job in Chicago. Um, a, a second job. I had a job the first year, but um, I, I got a new job um, as an IT um, manager slash admin guy. Just I was the only IT person for for this consulting company, and the I was I was really yeah you know I guess it was around two thousand six two thousand seven. Um, but yeah, so I I was just really interested in um video games still, and because I had a lot more money, I was like buying up games and things as a child that I'm like oh I want to buy this game I want to play this game and like one of the games. Um, that I really wanted is when I was younger, uh, but never got was Seaman on the Dreamcast. Yeah, I was gonna say it's gonna you're it's gonna you're not gonna understand. And you're gonna be like, wait, what? But um, so I in Chicago, I was like, it'd be cool if I had a fish tank, but I don't really want to take care of a fish, uh, which is you know not a lot of work. But I was a twenty something, uh, so you know, uh, so I'm like, what if I could have Seaman running at all time? 24-7 Seaman. 24-7, yeah. <laughs> now, the thing with Seaman is you have to set the temperature in the tank. It has to be at a nice degree for him. He has to have enough oxygen, and you have to feed him every now and then. And so, like, if you leave it on for eight hours, that tank's going to go from, like, whatever it was to zero degrees, and he's going to freeze and die. <laughs> and so I'm I'm learning how to automate um, uh, Seaman, the Dreamcast game, uh, with a computer, with real hardware. And you, you, you asked like live streaming and it's yeah. getting there. Um, <laughs> this sounds awesome though. So, so I'm like, okay, this is cool. This works now. But I mean, I'm at work a lot. What if I want to see him at work? <laughs> and so I'm like, how do I, how do I put this on the internet? And so I put it on the internet so that you could, uh, so I could see it and it would be a live video and I use my bandwidth. Right. And I'm like, all right, well, this is cool, but what else can I do? And then, I eventually made a chat room for it and <laughs> I had I added the ability and this this is crazy. Yeah. I added the ability for anyone that's in the chat to uh queue up to take control of Seaman. So you not not Seaman himself but the yeah. game. Uh so they could add oxygen, change the temperature or feed him. So and cool. and because because Seaman's all about the voice, um there was a text to speech module so you could type in some text and it would say it to him, and yeah. then you'd hear what he says back over the audio. And so this is 2007 or so, 2006. Bandwidth was not easy. No. Um, and so only two people at a time could watch live, oh, whereas everyone else would get screenshots, updates. Got it. Uh, and so that was my first like foray into live streaming. And this was like, I don't even know if Ustream was around. It might have just started right. being around. Um, but I ran. I found out about Justin TV. Um, and that's when I created my account um, and never put it up on Justin TV. But it was it was like a Twitch plays Pokemon. But it was it was Jakku's chat plays Seaman. And I had this dream of like having forums, giving forums access to uh, to control Seaman for a week or a month to see how he turns out. You know, like what happens if an Internet forum raises a fish? 
um <laughs> it, it it never got that far but uh it was it was definitely one of those like wow live streaming could be a thing um and this could definitely be a start of it okay i definitely have some questions about this uh first one so i know Stormcrow is somebody i've had on the podcast and he actually has run cmid so i'm, I'm actually kind of familiar with the game which is pretty funny it's it's mostly you just watch the fish you know and you're, and you're yeah you're, that's I'll see what it is but uh, so for your first ch channel that you built to yourself you built your own twitch which is awesome were you using icq or were you using something did you build your own chat uh, room um, it was, it was actually, yeah, it was IRC. IRC, yeah. Okay, gotcha. Yep. So cool. That's, that's so awesome. So you, I can, you can already see some of them, the, the, the beginning of some of how this goes and what a great yeah. idea to bring that uh, online and everything or to a live stream, like a, a service or anything. Cause I'm trying to think around that time too. I can't remember the services that might've, Justin might've been available, like, but I'm not sure it was back in 07. So. Yeah. I, th I think it was literally 2007, 2008 is when Justin TV came out. Um, I, this is this is fun, and I'm I'm going to call him out on this. But yeah. th my my former boss, he actually owned the website streams.com, and I was like, hey, this live streaming thing might actually be something. Like, could I have that domain or at least use it while I'm employed for this? And he's like, no, that sounds like a stupid idea. <laughs> well, what the hell are you going to use streams.com for? <laughs> I know. Like what? So I don't know where that domain is now, but um. Yeah, it's like wow, that's a it's a billion dollar industry now. So, well, if he was hoarding it, I feel like he could have sold that one for a good chunk of change. Yeah, yeah, no kidding. <laughs> Little domain speculation there. Holy cow. Yeah. Okay, so so what after after the Seaman thing? What, what were some of the first yeah. games then you took to uh, Ustream or Justin TV before, or maybe even the beginning of Twitch? Yeah. Um. So I mean, that's when I actually like at about that point is when my like information security um oh, cool. uh, passion really grew and so i didn't get to dabble as much on that sort of thing and so i did more information security um hacking things like that but the very first game that i actually would have gone on to stream was Mega Man 9 um and or 10 i think 9 mm -hmm. and then 10 on ustream.tv very cool so you mentioned and i do want to touch on it because one of the things i i really appreciate about your twitter is how um you give out some really great security information, something as simple, like you're really passionate about two-factor authentication. And it's like, yeah. it's one of the, it's these things that help everyday people like myself <laughs> not get <laughs> hacked, or at least at the best of our ability, you know, without yeah. having physical access and things like that. Um, when did sort of that passion start and how did you get, how did you go down that avenue? It honestly, like a lot of it got started because of the ROM hacking that I did, um, mm. you know, because I had to learn how to do all that stuff. Like I was reading a lot about hack setting and, and reverse engineering other programs and things. And so that got me into just information security. And that actually led me to why I moved to Chicago. I grew up in Detroit and there was no like information security scene in Detroit when I was growing up. Mm. Um, there was a lot of uh, there was a few meetings here and there that were supposed to happen. But anytime I went, like they were canceled or just no one showed up. So Chicago is like the second closest city um, that had these things. I'm like, well, I'm going to move to Chicago and start going to those because I know they're happening because I can talk to the people online. Um, and yeah, so like I guess in early 2000s as well is when I got into that sort of thing. But it wasn't until like 2005 that like I could probably start moving this towards a career. Um, and I think in about 2009 that it became a career. Very cool. Well, I, I appreciate all the stuff that you you disseminate out there because it's like it's super helpful things, and I, I, sure. I I've never had a hack, and I mostly because a lot of things that I followed from watching your stream and the stuff that you tweet out and stuff like that. I would assume so. Yeah, I mean, two factor is really important. Uh, you know, having a password manager to so yeah. that you have a unique password on as many sites as possible is really useful. Um, it 
is it is a lot of work if you don't have any of that stuff set up right away or first but as you do it and as you just knock them out it becomes easier and easier the next time you sign into a site that's one of the best things I noticed because I, I was a little overwhelmed by it when I first started doing it. But then you mentioned, well, the next time you log into the site, that's when you change your password. You don't have to do it all at once. And that made the task a lot less daunting when you approached it that way. <laughs> so uh, tell yeah. us tell us a little bit about, if you don't mind, take us through the story a little bit. Like what is Warp World and how did it start? What, what, when did, how's this, what, what, what exactly is it? Yeah. Um, so Warp World started um, about a month after Super Mario Maker 1 came out on the Nintendo Wii U. Uh, I was really excited for this game and I was, you know, I, I said like, I can't be, I, I'm not a level or I'm not a lo- uh, game designer or anything, but Mario Maker makes it easy and like anyone can make a level. It doesn't have to be good. Um, I, I really took on the, it doesn't have to be good part when I made my <laughs> levels, but uh, he, I, I always enjoyed Mario and like every time I played the, le- every level I was playing, like from the, from the list of levels that Nintendo was giving me in expert mode, like they were fairly easy overall. Like there were some tough ones here and there, but like, I'm like, this is, this is good. This is fun, but like, I want something harder. And it wasn't until uh Panga came out with the level P break. This was the infinite infamous level that like Kotaku and all sorts of news uh, groups started writing about. Like, this is an impossible level. It took the creator um, 12 hours or 36 hours to create. And then it took him that long just to beat it as well. No one else can beat this. And all my friends that are like, in the computer uh, security scene were like sending me this stuff too because they know I'm big into video games. Um, and they're like, hey, have you beat this yet? Can you beat this level? I'm like, I'll give it a try. Um, and I had no idea about the Twitch side of Mario Maker at this point because I kind of stepped away from the live streaming stuff um, mm-hmm. after Mega Man 10. And so um, so I'm, I, I'm playing and like I get the first clear on P-Break. And so I, 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 I tweet to Peng. I'm like, hey, I beat your level. It was fun. And he tells me like, "Hey, come to my chat on Twitch." I'm like, "Okay." And I'm like, "Oh, I got a, I got Jacko on Twitch. That's fine. This is perfect." <laughs> so I log in and stuff, and and we're chatting. And then I start seeing all these people are watching. Other people play Mario Maker, and all these other people are are also streaming it. So that's when I I got to meet Mitch Flower Power and Grand Pooh Bear. Um, and and I'm like, this is really cool. And everyone's encouraging me to stream because like, you beat P Break, you can stream. I'm like, <laughs> okay, okay, but. I started looking and I started like noticing like people are doing viewer levels. Like they're like, Hey, I want you to play my level. And the system at the time was you go into someone's chat and you'd be like, you'd type exclamation point ad and it would link you to a Google doc. And some people had it just straight up, go to the Google doc. So anyone could edit. And then other people were a little bit smarter and had it go to the form. So you could, you couldn't mess with other levels. But I thought that was still inefficient because like it's taking you away from Twitch and like it's not verifying that these levels exist in any capacity. Right. So you could add 30 levels and they could all be fake levels. And now you're wasting the streamer's time. <laughs> um, and so I created Warp World, which at first we didn't have any way to get um, this level name information. But I was verifying that the codes were at least in the right format because um, the format was easy enough to figure out. Um, uh, and so Warp World in its very first form in October of 2015 uh, you do, you would just type exclamation point add and level code, and then the streamer would click start, and it pop up on the screen with the level name or not the level name, but the level code and a timer. Uh, very basic, very simple. Um, and then as I started realizing, uh, oh, somebody might want to leave their level or replace it, I started adding more commands, and like it was all done on the web, so it was instant. No one had to download anything new. And then 
December of 2015, Nintendo releases an update for Mario Maker that says like, hey, there's a bookmark site now. You can go to our website and you can get the information of the level. And I'm like, oh, well, this is perfect. I'm a hacker. I can scrape <laughs> websites. I can make, when someone adds a level to the queue, I can go out, scrape that website, make sure it's got information and send that information back into the chat. Um, and so that that's what Mario uh, Warp World was um, for the longest time. It's, it's so fascinating to me. I, I, I am not a coder or developer and I don't pretend to understand most any of this stuff, but I'm curious, was the first, was like, was this just a, a script that you had written or how did, how did the, if you don't mind me asking, what were kind of the, nuts, the geekiness of it early on? How did it work? Yeah, um, with, with the, the original site was really simple. It was just like a basic CRUD database uh, oh, okay. that would just go in and out like, hey, I'm going to take data, put it here. All right, I'm going to take data and delete it or remove it and things like that and update. Um, but the the scraping part was, yeah. So I had to write a special script um, that would go out and pretend to be a web browser, essentially, go to the website that Nintendo has and go to that level codes website. Um, Nintendo, they weren't trying to to block anyone, but the way they coded that site, my it was the it was the worst. Um, That's not surprising. Scrape, yeah. Nintendo typically not knowing what to do online, <laughs> right? So, so typically when you when you're scraping a website, like, or when you're looking at a website, you see text as a human. You're like, oh, that's text. This is text, and that's text. And for the most part, some of the stuff on the Mario bookmark site was text. But what they did was they used SVGs, which mm. is just like a, a graphics format, essentially. Yep. Um, to show the words so that, that the font, the Mario Maker font that they chose, shows perfectly on all systems. Oh, my God. And so that made things a lot more difficult to scrape. So instead of, like, finding the word um, pee break, I would actually find tags with SVG um, details in them, and it would have the letter at the very end of this tag. So, like, I had to read all this stuff just to get the very final letter and oh then piece God. it together. Um so it made it a little bit difficult, but we got it within 24 hours. Um, so it wasn't a big <laughs> deal. And it was what was great is, again, because it was, you know, all based on the website and you didn't have to download anything. People that were using the software the next day when it started spitting the level names back out to people, they're like, wait, what? <laughs> it's funny you say that because about 2015 is actually when I started watching Twitch. And I just remember I thought it was a tool that Nintendo had released because it looked so pro. It was so professionally done. And I'm just like, oh, man, this is awesome. So, yeah. so, so it, was, it was really it was already well done even early on. Yeah. Um, and like I never I'm not a graphics designer by any means, but like I took a lot of advice from people um, mm. and made it made it the best to my ability and like it really did tie like the streaming aspect of mario maker all together um it was always fun like scrolling down the list of mario maker one and being able to just notice the warp bar up at top and right. be like one two three all right <laughs> 30 out of 35 streams are using this right now and those five people are doing 100 man so right. why would they use this <laughs> It's very good point. Very good point. Yeah. And uh, that's, I think that's one of the, the, the things that's great. Uh, I mean, even about the tools today and we'll, we'll, we're going to get there. Uh, so how, how does that lead to um, what Warp World is? Like, how does, how does this tool, how do you, how does Warp World happen after that? Yeah. So, so after that, um, th it was the first HDQ that I went to as well. And that's when I actually, mm -hmm. actually met Mitch and Pooh um, and a few others. And, you know, we, we started talking a lot and talking about like our, our visions for the future of Twitch and and all this stuff in Mario Maker. And that's when we kind of like, oh, let's let's kind of combine in a way and and become like, you know, partners in this and and continue to do cool stuff and get it in front of people. Um 
Grand Poop Air had recently became partner that December. And so, like, you know, he was on the upswing. Um, he was definitely growing. Every stream you would go to, he'd have more and more viewers, which was great. And so it made perfect sense to to work with somebody that understands the the game and the community so well. And then somebody that understands that as well, but also has the technical side and and who has the personality and the and the community side there, you know, so like it, it made perfect sense to work with him. I also there's the I got to say that one of the common things is the passion that you all have as well. Like every time I hear any one of you uh, speak even today about Mario Maker 2, whether it's a positive or it's a criticism, whatever it is, there's obviously passion behind it. You guys love this game, but you also love the things that you're trying to do with it on stream and stuff like that, which I totally I really, really respect. It's awesome. Yeah. And I mean, Mario 1 brought us all together. You know, and like Mario 2 is a great game um, overall. It's got some flaws here and there, but like it's still it's a continuation of the first game that brought us all together. So we're going to be passionate about it um, because it's changed our lives. How did how so how does the original queuing system, the level queuing system turn into multi-queue today? Because that's what I I just started recently using it a couple of uh, months ago, and Mm -hmm. it's a really powerful tool. It's really awesome. And it's so easy to use and set up. How do you how do you get from there to there? So so. So this is this is this is kind of funny, um, but I guess the short of it, multi queue is basically what what I had built for Mario Maker One, but for any game. Hmm. Um, so like if you're playing Smash Brothers and you want to play with viewers, they can add themselves to your queue as instead of a level, and that just that makes sense um, because there's so many other games out there. Like I I'm like this is a powerful tool for Mario Maker. It could be used for other things, and we actually had talked about a way to like move over to to this to this new system a while ago and it it had it was a lot of we had a lot of discussions we spent like an entire day talking about databasing and and it was it was a lot it was like eight hours of us around a whiteboard like all right this is how it needs to be designed and like that's that's fine i don't necessarily enjoy the the designing aspect of everything but when you're building a tool like that it does make sense um but it got hard to get the ball rolling. And so it was actually, I believe, December 2018 is when I released multi And it was coded in five days because I was sick. Um, of I, course. I had, what do you do with I your had, sick time? You take five days. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I was sick around Christmas time or so. And we had been talking about like this new system, this new queue system. And like Smash Brothers had just come out the, the few weeks prior to that. And I'm like, man, people really need to like be able to use something for that. And so I took some of the some of the stuff we had talked about as a team, and I'm like, I'm just gonna code it. And so multi queue is a single page app that was literally coded in like five days. It's had some updates and stuff since then, but overall, it was just five days of of hard coding, knowing, taking all the information I've learned from the original queue system and making it better. Um, and yeah, some features are missing because five days. <laughs> um, but but the, the 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 framework is there to to be much to grow upon much further and it didn't even have a name until i was telling the team i'm like yeah i don't know what to call it i think uh i'll go with multi-queue i guess because like it has multiple queues <laughs> and like that works so. As a marketing person, uh, we would have had some thoughts on that, but no shit, <laughs> no, no. But but I think that that I think that highlights like the foundation was there with the original queuing system. Like it was yeah. it was so strong to begin with that you know adding on features was, was just a natural step for it. So yeah, um, can you tell us a little bit about the team? Like uh, on the dev side of things, like how many are there of you, and and what does everyone do? Yeah, we so 
so that's that's a loaded question. Um, uh -huh. There's a, there's a lot of us in a way, um, and then there's very few small. No, um, so there. <laughs> We're, 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 I get down in the breakdown of the, the the main team, I guess. So it's myself, Grand Pooh Bear, X Water, um, and then you have uh, Falcon Red, um, who you've never heard of, I'm sure, which is fine. Uh, but uh, and then uh, we got uh, Saturn, uh, Moni, we have uh, Carcat uh, Games, we have uh, D to the Fourth, we have Mister Disagree, and we have oh, if I forget anyone, they're gonna kill me. Why can't I think? I'm pretty sure there's one. Oh, we have Navitz, um, who is X-Water's brother, actually. Oh, cool. Um, and then uh, Cami uh, Wing is our, our new graphics designer. Um, and so, like, we, we, we have a bunch of different people in, in a whole bunch of different areas at this point that are kind of helping move the company forward. Um, the multi-queue and Warp World is all pretty much done only by me right mm. now. Um, there, there's a plan um to start a, a fresh rewrite um in about april of this year with a oh and chud breeder can't forget chud um and so, so, <laughs> so yeah so we're good now so um so he he's he's going to be one of the big proponents we're actually building some frameworks right now um we're very much in the early stages of re uh, of redoing our entire authentication system from for all of our sites and all of our um services um because all of these apps currently have always been designed as like, oh, you want to get, use multi-queue, you go to Warp World. You want to use crowd control, you go to crowd control. You want to use one-upcoin, you go to oneupcoin.com. Um, and so like, that's nice, but that re really leaves a lot of our users unaware of our other services. And so our, our first thing is uh, we sneak peeked uh, a new website design at new.warp.world at TwitchCon, um, which will also be launching soon. But as we fill that out, we're going to be redoing our backend. So our authentication services and then and then our messaging systems between our our services are actually going to get a lot better, um, but yeah. Either way, it's it's there's a whole lot of uh, there's a whole lot of people doing a whole lot of stuff. Um, it's it, it's tough to really get into it because a lot of us do multiple things. Um, at least that's the that's the dream with this rewrite. Um, it's going to be me giving a lot of knowledge about the queue system to to a few other members so that we can add more features um, a lot faster and a lot lot more often without me having to find the time to do it. When I, I got onto your technical support discord, it reminded me a little bit about uh, startups that I've worked for and that it felt like a startup culture where it seems like a lot of different people are, are you know, uh, pitching in wherever they can. And I thought, mm -hmm. first of all, that's really cool. But secondly, the, you know, cause you get to, I get to, you're the one who answered my tech support question, but then secondly, you know, it's like, that's the kind of thing that happens. I think when you're, when you're building these things. Yeah. We're, we're all really passionate about the stuff. Um, you know, I, I would probably have the most understanding of all the services sure. out of everyone there. And that just makes sense because um, every single one of them I've had some code in. Um, whereas like Cat, he's only really touched crowd control, hmm. which makes sense. Um, but uh, overall, like we, we we make sure that we always try to reply to people on the Discord as soon as possible and, and help out as much as we can. And if we can't, we can tag somebody and that probably can help. So I, I think most people at this point know what this is, but what exactly is crowd control and how did this whole thing start and, and get to where we are today? Yeah, so crowd control is a Twitch extension that allows viewers to interact with streamers' games live. And by interact, I mean send effects into their games, such as um, give the give the player uh, full life or make them invulnerable for, for 30 seconds, or maybe you just straight up kill them because um, you're probably going to do that. But... <laughs> that's the but, fun part but uh. yeah that's the fun part is the the bad stuff but it's it's a, it allows you as a viewer to kind of send effects that are 
positive or negative into the stream um, and see them happen in real time using Twitch bits. And how, like, what was the original idea? Like, this is so, it's like taking trolling to the next level, but in a really fun and exciting way. How did that idea come about? And and how, how are we, like, how was, yeah, how, was, how did it come about? How did the idea come about? So so this this idea came about from two sides, actually. I'll tell my side and then I'll tell the other side. Um, myself, Grand Pooh Bear, and Xwater had, at one point, we were doing a, a giveaway, and I believe it was a Switch giveaway, um, or it was a Mario Maker giveaway. Oh, you know what? I think it was a Wii U, actually, but it might not have been. Who knows? Uh, we were given a giveaway, and we were trying to figure out how to make it fair um, with our numbers, because obviously Grand Pooh Bears can have a lot more users come in um, right. than me or X Water, um, and that's that's fine. Sure, he's a great guy. He deserves it. Uh, but we wanted to make sure that the the people entering, like, because they could enter per team. And we wanted to make sure that that was fair in some way. And so what we did was we did a Mario Party. And I want to say it was Mario Party 2, uh, but I could be wrong. We did a Mario Party 2 stream. Um, and we set all the players to CPU. Um, I had Donkey Kong. Uh, I think X-Water had uh, Green Dog Yoshi. And then Pooh actually got the other two players because he had the most mm. submissions. Okay. Yeah, um, and we felt that that was pretty fair. Yeah. And whoever's character won, then the the prize would be pulled from that streamer's um, uh, pool of oh, users. Cool. Yeah, that's cool. And and so Donkey Kong won. Um, <laughs> and it was not rigged. It was running on my system, but it was not rigged. But <laughs> but that gave me an idea of like, what if it was? And what if what if like chat could have done it? Like, what if chat could have been cheering in chat to like change Donkey Kong's difficulty to hard and everyone else to easy, so that he'd be better suited to win? You know, yeah. and so so we started thinking about that idea. And then a few months later, um, Carcat Devs, uh, he or Carcat Games, um, he actually came out with what he called Bit Races, which worked with Legend of Zelda Link to the Past Randomizer, who he's one of the main devs on. Um, so it was a perfect fit for him. And he he actually the way he come up, came up with it, he was talking with somebody and he said, I bet I can monetize trolling. <laughs> <laughs> like he's like i bet i could make money off of trolling and they're like <laughs> okay prove it and that's how bit races was formed and so it's very similar to what you see today but it was all done through chat and so you go into chat you type exclamation point free and then if you want to send kill player you type like exclamation point effect space kill player space player one or one and it would deduct and, oh and you, you do it in a cheer i think right, right. or no no you you had a balance you didn't do it in the cheer um, he, he kept something that we 100% are behind. He had a coin system, essentially, mm. just like we do today. Yeah. I don't think, I don't know if it was coins though. Um, but the idea was like, if an effect doesn't go through, you still get refunded. Um, <laughs> And Which I you can't just do with bits. Right. And I, I remember seeing bit races early on. And it, what it reminded me of was like Twitch plays, but like better and like more mm -hmm. options. And there was there was a little bit more, uh, there were more things were happening. And that wasn't just people arguing about what the next move was going to be, you know? Yeah. And so it seemed yeah. like a really cool next logical step of what, what that kind of interactivity could be. Yeah, absolutely. And we really liked it. And so we, we talked with him about it um, and told him what we were doing. And it just made sense for us to combine forces mm. uh, to make this one extension. Because one of the things that Twitch Plays Pokemon and Bit Races had against it is that it cuts out all chat interaction with the streamer. Yeah. Hmm. Like, if you're playing a Twitch Plays Pokemon, who cares? You're not actually talking to the person. And yeah. if you want to talk to somebody in chat, you, you take it to DMs. Right. But if I want to talk to a streamer, 
I don't want their chat to be flooded with commands right, and not right. see it. Yeah, totally. So, so yeah, it, it just made the most sense to to build off of his framework um, to to get things in the in the in the position they are now and using the extension. And we we knew we couldn't use the bit race's name because um, it had bit in it, and Twitch doesn't like that sort of thing. Um, and that's fine. Oh, and so we had to come up with crowd control. Um, and this was like a month or two of this. This was not as easy as multi-queue. Um, <laughs> it wasn't five days on a sick break. <laughs> yeah. um, and what, what what I really like about this is that it, it also keeps the double letters of like Warp World and CC. Crowd oh, nice. Yeah. And See, now like, we're we getting into the marketing stuff. I like yeah, it. Yeah, okay. we don't try to do that. But if it works out, it's great. Yeah. But we, we had like crowd controller or controller, <laughs> all sorts of stuff. And then just one day, uh, I believe it was Grand Pooh Bear, who was like, guys, crowd control. And we're like, that's it. That's, we're done. You're not going to uh, top that. It's not going to get any better yeah. than that. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's super fun to play along and to watch it and to enjoy it. Um, one of the things I got to be honest that blew my mind was when I, uh, I don't remember who I saw it and when it happened first, but watching it happen on real hardware, that just like, blew my mind and i'm curious how did that happen like what were the steps to make that possible yeah um so i, I believe the very first version of bit races um well maybe not the first version but definitely the early versions did work with the sd to snes and maybe it was bit races then <laughs> yeah but but yeah bit races crowd control that's just like the coins and the refunds that was something that we wanted to keep and is very fundamental to us because we know speedrunners love their hardware um emulators are great yeah. but like you can't get better than than original hardware, um, and so so the SD to SNES has a USB port in it, and it actually lets you communicate in various ways. And so another developer named Red Guy, um, he actually built the interface that works between um, the SD to SNES and the computer. And so I think I I believe our code's built off of that um, hmm. essentially, and he's he's a great asset to the community, and his his code has been great and has helped us. Uh, move this forward but yeah it's 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 all through the snes as opposed to going through an emulator and it's it's really exciting um we actually just teased on our twitter today the nes support uh hardware support with the n8 pro uh, this, is, this is like a perfect timing also because you announced uh, zelda one as well which i'm sure uh everyone's gonna love because like that's such a like a lot of the other games it's such a classic game that is like perfect and ripe for uh <laughs> for this yeah for that, crowd that's gonna be like that's definitely gonna be the first NES game. Um, if all goes well, uh, I will always preface that just because <laughs> things can go wrong. Uh, but that that'll be the first NES game that we support hardware-wise that will be done by the end of this month. Uh, how do you? I mean, are, are are you able to? Is there any way to? Um, I guess there has to be a way. How do you go about testing these things to make sure that they work on, on the original hardware and with like the NA Pro and things like that? We all have the N8 Pro, uh, or me and Kat have the N8 Pro, so we're the two testers. And then uh, Dita the Fourth, I believe, has his coming. Uh, but it's just a lot of us testing um, as well. So like emulator helps a lot with hmm. with that as well, where we can like, all right, do the effects work? Yeah, okay. Do they work in hardware? Well, let's find out. Um, so it's, it's it's a lot of sleepless nights. Um, every effect pack that we do will go through a pretty in pretty in depth uh, Q and A process. Um, where like one of us will be playing and the other one will be watching on Discord um, using a, an extension that allows us to do that. So we can trigger the effects just as if we're watching on Twitch, but simulate that same sort of interaction um, and experience and just see what could end up breaking. Um, and we do miss some things, obviously, because some some can games I? are big. Mario 64 is a huge game. 99% um, <laughs> of the stuff will work fine, but there might be that one edge case that 
we just didn't think about mario 3 who would have thought that the piranha world 7 would be like <laughs> the level that messes up the most um but yeah it's just there's definitely a lot that goes into testing and like I feel bad for Cat sometimes because we always have him do most of the coding um, for the actual effect packs. Mm-hmm. Um, we like to keep that one person, maybe two people, um, because it's a lot simpler for them to keep it all in their head. But like me and Saturn will go and be like, "Cat, this is broken. This is broken. This is broken. That's broken." And I feel bad for him because, <laughs> like, it's not anything he did. It's just we need to account for other things. Uh, but like we're throwing all this stuff at him. Like it's broken, man. Fix it. Fix it. Fix it. And if people could see the side of of what we're doing on this side, like it, they'd be they'd be like, "Wow, number one, I believe." But they, I think, overall, they'd be impressed just because like there is a lot that goes into this, and we love all the games that we support currently, and like it's just so much fun. So it's always just fun to see these games like broken in fun ways. You uh, recently just released, I think it was some new effects for Super Mario World, if I remember correctly. Yes. How, how does how do you get? Because first of all, the, they're so different for all the different games that that crowd control supports um how, how do you go about like uh coming up with an idea for the for the new effect or for the next effect yeah um we, we always try to keep like a base effects a uh, base level of effects that should work on most games you know kill player give lives give power up that's that's simple stuff um but a lot of times we we definitely have to just look at like well what what does this game have that a different game doesn't have um and you know we added d to the fourth to the team back in december and he has a really great understanding of super mario world hmm. um like he knows that game probably better than nintendo at this point and so he he just was able to be like hey i can do this to this i can do this to that and we're like yes let's keep going and a lot of the effects that he actually did um a lot of the, the screen type effects with like the sprites and the brightness and stuff that's actually all nes stuff or snes stuff that can work on any snes game um so we might start moving some of those to to other games but overall it's just he um he has such a good understanding of these games that it really helps us figure out more things and then like sim city it's a it's that's a random game that like was one of the games that i just randomly did over a weekend because i was bored um and i'm like sim city is a fun game that i grew up as a kid playing um what can i do with sim city that's like not just take money and give money and i brought out the hack setter you know i i i started looking at the code and and things i'm like all right well i can do all sorts of crazy stuff and that game really lends itself well to crowd control because it's not a game you would think would be fun um with people watching and typically like people don't want to watch other people play SimCity, but if they can destroy your city they're gonna love it oh absolutely uh sim city is one of my favorite games of all time to be honest with you and i've really only ever played the first one um do you have a preferred version of sim city <laughs> super nintendo sim city is my favorite nice i uh it was i got it for my birthday i i went to uh best buy uh skip school that day because that's what i do for my birthday <laughs> got it and uh yeah and uh it was between that and super Bomberman. and super Bomberman came with the multi-tap and for some reason, oh. my child head was like, "Yeah, let's let's do Sim City. Let's be a mayor." Um, but yes. I, that that really shaped things for me um, it, in ways I don't understand fully. Understand? Uh, you know, it's probably my probably one of my first like experiences with like what felt like an open world. Like there was this open canvas that you yeah. could just create anything on. You know? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> kind of mind blowing. I remember. Yeah, I remember trying to do like pixel art essentially. Oh yeah. In in the map there you and go. stuff. Yeah. So yeah. 
Absolutely. So cool. Um, so for I, there are, I have family and friends who have no idea about speedrunning, but they love catching the games done quick. Like that's the one thing they know is games done quick, these mm -hmm. live events and stuff like that. And I got to say that the demo this year was just like so much fun and exciting to watch what you guys did at AGDQ this year. Um, what does it take to like live demo something on that scale and raise a, an incredible amount of money uh, that you guys did for charity, which is awesome. But how, what did it take to pull that off? That was oh man, we we had been talking about getting into GDQ, um, literally all year. So in all of 2019, like the beginning of 2019, we're like, how do we get this to a level that it can that GDQ can handle this? Um, because our very first like launch of the software with Grand Pooh Bear and I believe Ryukar, um, it was like 500 to a thousand viewers, and it had some problems at that level, hmm. um, and. We, we figured out what those problems were early on and we fixed them like within like a week, which was great. But e even still, we would go to other streamers that had then 5,000 people and there could be some, some, some bugs would pop up here and there. And we're like, what, what's causing this sort of stuff? So like we, we really started throughout the year, just optimizing as much as we could in areas that we knew were a problem. Um, we, we cached a lot of information that we knew that we could cache and just stop worrying about looking up. So that reduced a lot of load. Um, and this is not necessarily a problem that you could just throw CPU power at. Hmm. Um, we did throw CPU power at it for GDQ just in case. <laughs> but um, in test, like we, we just we just made sure everything we were doing was the absolute necessary was absolutely necessary to be done. And if it wasn't, how can we remove it? Um, and so it just was a lot of that. And there's still a lot more we can do. Um, but we at the end of it all, um, we were testing in December or so. Um, in our testing, we were able to send like some like 10,000 effects a minute to ourselves, wow. which would never happen in the real world. <laughs> uh, but we, we got prices in the billions of coins amount uh, oh my God, as they wow. scale up. And like, we started at one, like one coin cost. And then like, it started costing billions of coins to do stuff. Um, and so like, we were able to send 10,000 plus effects a minute, which was pretty great. Um, cause we were not going to hit that at GDQ, but we wanted to make sure. And it was only at the, that level, like consistently that we would see like large CPU spikes. Hmm. Um, and so for GDQ, we, we saw like almost nothing like in testing. It was so much, so calm. It was so nice. And shout outs to ESA as well. Um, Cause we actually had did um, a, a, a link to the past randomizer run at ESA uh, earlier in the year. And that was the very first test for the price scaling and, and a mm. large audience like that. And so they gave us the chance um, to, to, to kind of prove ourselves on that. And we actually will have three crowd control games at ESA next week. So I'm actually flying out to Sweden again, um, literally on Tuesday. And so we're going to be uh, showcasing three more games there um, at ESA. That's so cool. I watched the ESA run. It's on YouTube in preparation for this because I was like, I want to see what does it look like in different types of situations. And I'm glad to hear that it can scale even larger because I ran a game at GDQX this year. And when I went over to the TwitchCon side of things, I was... I. I should, I should not have been surprised, but I was how su surprised at how small speedrunning is and how there are, mm -hmm. there are bigger, there are bigger charity events and bigger marathons than, 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 than the GDQs out there. And so the fact that this could, uh, you know, could, could, uh, scale up to that is, is amazing. That's awesome, man. Yeah. Yeah. And, and we put GDQ on its own server that we gave 32 CPU cores and stuff <laughs> and like, like, and it was, it was overkill, but yeah. it was something like, it's like it's not going to cost us a whole lot to do if we do it this way compared to if like 
what what's the worst cost? This or it crashes. And right. like we didn't want to take that chance. So we did as much as we could. But the idea would be that, you know, eventually we don't have to worry about like moving these these events to their own servers and stuff. It just it runs as if anything else. Um, and we're getting to that point for sure. Well, it was super impressive, and I, I'm glad that it I, I just, especially because it was a long run. I mean, I, was it three or four hours that this thing went on? Like, three, three and forty, three hours, forty-two <laughs> minutes, or something like that. And, and it didn't seem like it ever hiccuped at all. And when I I saw the final grand total number, I was just like, oh my god, I can't believe it survived all those bits. <laughs> yeah, there was definitely Millions. there was one point where like it definitely crashed, um, but it wasn't necessarily it was it was because an effect got sent at the right time, which. <laughs> but also the wrong time but the software itself never crashed right um, it wasn't the software yeah the we did have we the one the major hiccup nice. we did have though is through um so we have a messaging system on on the extension that will let you know if a user's be re, being refunded or something's being pooled it will announce to all the other users like hey uh kill players just at, had 10 coins added to it and that messaging system we actually use um is from twitch mm. and that wasn't able to keep up with all of the mm. users Okay. And so, <laughs> yeah. And so we would say, hey, kill player's been updated 10 coins. And then it'd go to like 10 of the users. And then five minutes later, they'd send a message that was like five minutes old to users. And it would then oh like decrease the value because <laughs> it's not what they thought it was. And it was just like, so that's, oh, wow. and so that's something we're working on sure. replacing completely. Um, so we're not relying on Twitch on that side of things. Um, but it wasn't required to function, luckily. It was just a, like a, this looks a lot better if it does, though. Oh, it's really cool that the uh, that the the thing that you're putting in place here is able to take on some really large requests. <laughs> um, yeah. and it, it's I'm a charity guy, so it's like it's a, it's awesome that we can you can do it to raise money for even if it's just for a stream or but for the charity side of things, it's really awesome. Yeah. <laughs> the Jakku mentioned the crash literally at the same time that it happened. Oh, I'm showing the, the display video. So. Oh, that's great. So that's perfect. That's perfect timing. <laughs> we it's planned a good thing to go and be like, what crash? There was yeah. no crash. <laughs> there was nothing there. <laughs> perfect timing. Well, I'm glad to, that's so cool that it happened. Um, if somebody yeah. wanted to implement uh, crowd control on their own stream and try it out themselves, where can they go to do something like that? Yeah, they could just go to crowdcontrol.live. Um, and we have guides for every single game. Uh, you download the software, you follow the instructions. And you're you're done. Um, there, there's a few caveats. Obviously, if you're affiliate or partnered, you can just start using it. If you're not either of those, and you're just like looking to use it for for your own testing on your own PC without streaming, you can still go into the software itself and send the effects. But if you're trying to stream with it, um, there you do have to become Warp World Pro from our Patreon, um, and that that will activate the extension on your channel as well. So users can get coins and, and do it that way because you can't transact bits without those two, without affiliate or partner. So it's kind of a moot point, but it's it's a way to let people still use our service where we can still support them. So I, we can't wrap this up without talking a little bit Yonoid. And um, <laughs> are you, I didn't even check. Are you still the world record holder in Yonoid at this point? Uh, I hope so. Yeah, I, I, I didn't check I before the what, stream. But. <laughs> I don't know what madman would try um, to get it. There, there is something evil and awful about Yornoid, but before I, I taint anybody's opinion with it, I'm, what the hell made you decide to ever try running this game in the first place? Yornoid is a game from my childhood that was really hard. Um, <laughs> I never beat it as a kid. I don't think I ever made it past the skateboard level, and if I did, I never got past the sewer level. That was and, The skateboard level was definitely where I, stopped. I, got, I got hit. Yeah, and so it was definitely just like, 
it was this game as a kid that I'm like, this is such a weird game. It's based on a mascot of a pizza company that's no longer their mascot for various reasons. <laughs> and and like, I don't know. It, it just had an appeal to me because like, I don't know. He, he He's an awkward guy. Um, and so, you know, I was like, let's let's do this. Um, it was a game that had an under 30 minutes uh, world record. Hmm. And I've mentioned before, like, I don't always have a whole lot of free time. So like 30 minute speed run. Perfect. I can I can learn that. I can I can play that. And so I don't know. I also like the music and the platforming is actually pretty solid. And so, you know, I, I just talked to my stream. I'm like, hey, I'm, we're going to play Yonoid. And it became a thing. And, you know, after like two months or so, I was able to grind the world record. Um, the first and only sub 20 minute and sub 19 minute run. <laughs> and, he kept, and still the only sub 20 minute run right now yeah. uh, on the leaderboard um, a question for you because I agree okay I'm gonna I will I will give you that that the uh, platforming actually isn't terrible especially once you get the hang of it and stuff like that yeah. but it's got this crazy RNG game at the end of certain levels what yeah. the hell is this? I don't understand this game at all <laughs> well so I mean if you follow my Mario Maker uh, career I was very much on board for RNG based levels in Mario Maker like I had I had Magic Koopa bowling, Magic Koopa tennis, and like it all required the Magic Koopa's stupid magic spell to hit a block <laughs> and turn the item into one specific item you need. Um, and so like that was RNG. Like you, you gotta love it or hate it, but like I'm like I I embrace it. And so like I put myself through the worst RNG things. So like Yonoid's nothing in that regard. But yeah, the pizza game's really stupid. Uh, for those that don't know. You have to challenge the uh, the other local Noid, who's just another Noid, different color. Um, and you have to eat more pizzas than him. Uh, you each have, like, you start off having to eat 12, and he has to eat 15 or something. And you get these cards that you can select from, and it's like, okay, I'm going to eat three pizzas. He's going to eat three pizzas. That cancels each other's out. Nobody eats any pizzas. So you always have to throw a higher number than him. And the cards you get are random. The cards he gets and chooses are technically random but based on your score and the time that you enter the the bonus round at so actually in my run and i i don't know if it actually did it or not but i always hesitate just a just a second or so not even a second before entering that pizza game in the very first level because it's the easiest one to kind of uh force but it it forces him to select one card like all one pizza cards oh, yeah. more often than not oh, interesting uh, which RNG Definitely manipulation. <laughs> yeah, so so very little RNG manipulation because I'm not about to learn that for all of the levels. Oh, yeah. Um, and if anyone does, like, yeah, they could probably beat the record by <laughs> quite a bit, I would assume. But There's the path. That's the path. <laughs> yeah, that's the path. The, the real path is um, to get perfect pizza games because I, I only had one pizza game that wasn't perfect in my speed run, and I missed one glitch that is actually named after me. Um. You got your. You have a. There's a Jakku glitch in the game. There's a Jakku glitch because in in the game. Uh, so the game has a really interesting way. It starts you off in most levels. You actually start above the screen, um, but if you if you jump on the very first frame of that screen transition, you you will actually jump and you won't land on the ground as quickly. Um, there's power ups in the game, and the the main power up is called the the Noid Suit, and this makes you faster and invulnerable to things. And if if you if that suit runs out in midair, as long as you keep jumping, um, oh. if you're only on the ground for one frame, and you jump, it doesn't actually go away. Like at least your speed, your speed doesn't decrease, and your jump height doesn't decrease. And so, if uh, there's a transition, there's a circus level. You get this Noid suit, you jump up and you teleport, and you play whack a mole with the Noid, 
And technically, the game state still registers you as having this suit on, even though it's definitely gone. And because the next level starts you off in the air with a helicopter like attachment, if you can pull off that one frame jump right then and there, the Noid's never going to touch the ground in that level at all no, because nice. he's always flying. Right. And so you can you can beat the level by an extra 15 seconds. Oh, jeez. Um, Huge. Yeah. So quite, and you can do it twice in the game. There's two helicopter areas. And so I discovered that on stream and I'm, I instantly knew what, what kind of triggered it because I had known about that one frame jump glitch and it was like, wow, this is awesome. So they call it the Jakku jet. <laughs> That's actually a good name for it too. I like that. Yeah. Um, currently your world record is a, uh, looks like it, it happened two years ago. Um, how yeah. long did it take you to grind out that, that world record? How long have you been, had you been playing the game? I think I had only been playing the game for about two or three months. Oh man, it was it was a lot of playing though. The very first run I did of the game, where I actually finally beat it, it was like a forty-five to fifty-minute run, because um, it was still brutal the first time. And then it just like kept getting like twenty-two, twenty-three, twenty-four, and then just one day after a raid with Dragon Feeny, um, like I'm like, well, all these people are here, I got to put on a show, and uh, <laughs> and I was sick again. So like. I, there's something about me being sick. Um, you do your best work. <laughs> I do my best work when I'm sick. Yeah. Um, I, so I'm convinced that you don't sleep like ever, just from the amount of stuff that you do in your life. Um, do, would you ever consider speedrunning a game ever again, or or do, taking on, if you ever have the time again to take on a speedrun? Yeah. Um, I actually did try to speedrun Yonoid again in December, I believe. Oh, wow. We did like a one-off stream. Yeah. Um, there's there's a few other games that some people have asked me to take a look at and i'm i'm, I'm interested i and i'd love to um because i i miss the streaming side of things i think one of the things that really makes warp world and all of our stuff really work is because we're passionate about what we're building we're also passionate about what we're building it for right and like being on twitch and streaming gives us so many ideas and so many opportunities to think of things um that by not streaming i'm actually doing myself a disservice right now because mm. like something could be happening uh that would tip me off is like this needs to be done and so i really hope to find a way to do it um i i've been joking around with some other members like i have i have a crazy trip scheduled right now if everything goes as planned um i will be in sweden from like wednesday basically to to sunday be back in chicago for two days and then i go to boston for wednesday to sunday and then i'm back in chicago for two days and then i go to tokyo from wednesday to sunday and then i'm back in chicago for a little bit uh, before going off to california for a bit um so like a lot of stuff's happening right now um and so like it's hard to find a time to stream um in that in 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 anything like that so so as much as i love streaming and want to continue doing it um i think it's a lot better use of my time obviously to to continue moving warp world forward with Mm -hmm. these meetings and these things i'm going to um, than it is for me to personally grow my own stream. But I do think I I am hurting us a little bit by not streaming as often. But luckily, we got a lot of streamers on our team to to help fill in those gaps. As much as I miss your stream, I, I am really thankful and appreciative of all the stuff that we get because of that. So it's like, mm-hmm. you know, I could totally, I appreciate the uh, the trade-off of, of everything from that. Sure. So. And I don't, I don't think you rarely miss podcasts. So it's like, you still get that side of it and those type of things. Yeah, that that's the one thing that I always try to do. I might I'm probably gonna miss next week's though. Oh, damn it. Um, unsubscribe. You no, it. Shit. <laughs> no, you shit. jinxed it. Yeah, we're, I, we're see. I might I might try to do like a, a remote segment for them. 
I might just record like, I'm live here at ESA and uh, this is what I'm reporting on now. And, <laughs> and we'll go with that. I don't know. I'll talk to them about it tonight. <laughs> so, you know, if, if people want to look for Warp World, we already talked about crowd control. Where can people find Warp World yourself? Anything like that on, on the web? Yeah. Uh, Warp.world is our domain for Warp World. Uh, I love the domain. Uh, you can find our Twitter, though, at just Warp World. Uh, crowd Control's Twitter is just at Crowd Control. And then you can find me pretty much Jacku anywhere. Twitch, uh, Twitter, um, not the domain though, sadly. God damn it! Um, <laughs> yeah, do you not have I the tried. domain. <laughs> the guy wanted ten thousand dollars for it like fifteen years ago, and I'm like, what? Uh, no, no way he's getting that. So <laughs> yeah, so yeah, uh, but yeah, Jacko J K U. Very cool, man. Thank you so much for giving us the t or giving me the time and taking the time to chat about this stuff. I always find it fascinating, and I, I can't wait to see what you all do next. I'm sure it'll be fun and exciting to keep playing with and watching it. Yeah, not a problem. This was a lot of fun. Thanks for having me. Thank you, everyone, for listening and watching. If you're enjoying the podcast, please feel free to share it with family, friends, and leave a review on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts. All those go a really long way to helping out the podcast. Thank you so much. Have a good one.